0: Well, good morning and welcome to River Oaks. We are delighted to have you with us here today. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. We thought that you all might enjoy hearing from some of our uh, missionaries, workers serving around the world. Those you've just heard from are some of our newest workers. Uh, They are in a a location in the world that we, we can't mention to you. Uh, online, but they're wonderful, wonderful folks. And over the coming weeks, you'll hear from some of our uh, missionaries about how Christmas might be celebrated where they are, and we ask that you continue to keep them uh, in your in your prayers. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, communion, and so if you didn't get one of the little cups on the way in, we'll have ushers that will uh, pass those around to you a bit later. But because we're going to be celebrating communion at the end of the message, I want to make couple of announcements right up front. First of all, our Christmas Eve services coming up just three weeks from today on December 24th. As you may know, Christmas Eve this year falls on a Sunday. And so our service times on Christmas Eve will be our normal Sunday morning times, 9.15 and 10.45, but also 4 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. Now I want to let you know in advance that uh, we will have NOah's Ark care for preschoolers only at the 9:15 and 10:45. We won't have kids rock on that day. Kids will be with us here in the sanctuary, and uh, Miss Marie will do a special children's message in our 9:15, 10:45, and 4 o'clock services. So choose the time that's best for you, but I would highly recommend uh, inviting a guest on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, along with Easter, uh, is one of those days when people are most open to attending a church. So think about a friend, family, neighbor, coworker who doesn't normally go to church, invite them to join you here on Christmas Eve. Then we have coming up on December 17th, uh, one week prior to this, at 3 p.m., our children's Christmas musical. The kids uh, do such a great job with these uh, Christmas presentations, a, a wonderful way to celebrate the holidays. Uh, it would be a lot of fun, 3 p.m., uh, Sunday, December 17th, right here in the sanctuary. Speaking of children, I do want to mention to you that we have some opportunities if you would be uh, willing to help with this, uh, particularly the 17th, 24th, 31st. Those are tougher days to get people to serve in our Noah's Ark area, particularly at our 1045 service, so if you'd be open to helping us out, Just uh, maybe note that on your ham here card, either your paper copy or your online copy or let Tiffany know back in Noah's Ark. That would be a big, big help to us. Now, I want to speak to one thing that I think some of you have uh, wondered about, perhaps uh, asked about, and that is when we changed our second service time uh, back in June, right after Memorial Day, Did that achieve the service attendance balance that we hoped it would achieve? And the answer is not really, (laughs) not really. It just didn't, uh, to be completely frank about it. We thought by changing our 11 o'clock service to 1045 that we would see more of an attendance balance between first and second service. If you're not aware of this, prior to COVID, our our two worship services, our, our, our sanctuary attendance was pretty much balanced between the two. But since that time, we've had, uh, on a typical Sunday, about 200 more people in this service than we do in the second service. Now, we're thrilled to see more people coming back to church, and and, and we're delighted to have you come to whichever service you want to come to. But if you should get here on a Sunday and say, it's feeling a little crowded in here, or the parking lot feels a little crowded, and wow, I had to park in that far distant corner back there on a cold today and walk all the way in. Let me tell you, if you come to the second service, you might park right at the door. <laughs> um, especially if you get here on time, you, you might be able to park right at the door. So I just come when it's most convenient for you and those with whom you come. But we're hoping to achieve a little little more balance. We're thrilled to see lots of people coming back to church. Our attendance goes up in November and continues into the winter months. We're, We're thrilled about that. But just wanted to give you a little update on that. Now, before we get into the Scripture, would you join me as we pray once again? Father, we thank you so much that we can come, gather together, celebrate what you've done for us, hear your word, worship you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has come and redeemed us by his blood so that we might call you our Father. Lord, as we gather today, I pray your presence be mighty among us, that your spirit would open the eyes of our hearts and fill us with the knowledge of your will. And I think of people like Donnie and Dahlia in another part of the world, many from our church who are serving you in difficult areas as missionaries. And we pray you'd protect them, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd encourage them and watch over them and let them sense the, the nearness of your great presence with them. And now we pray, open our eyes, that we may, we may behold wondrous things out of your law, your holy word, and we pray in your great name, amen. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John, <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Typically at the Christmas season, the Advent season, we'll look at a traditional Advent passage. Matthew chapter 1 is one of those. Going again to Matthew chapter 2. Luke chapter 1 is one of those. The gospel of John chapter 1 is not typically thought of so much as an Advent passage, but I think it's very, very appropriate. I'll read verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This morning, I'd like to talk about this presentation by John, by the Holy Spirit, speaking through John, of Jesus as the light, the light of the world. The Gospel of John has quite a a lot to say about Jesus as the light. In chapter 8, Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. God has been associated with light since the beginning of creation. When he said, as we read at the beginning of the book of Genesis, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. But as John points out to us in his gospel, people, human beings loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And yet God, throughout the Scriptures, promised the bringing of His light into the world. The prophet Isaiah, after saying that a Redeemer will come to Zion, and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, gives us these words, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Light. God will bring light into the world. Even though people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, God will bring light. Prior to the birth of John the Baptist, his father Zachariah prophesied that God was sending a Messiah to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You know, there is a reason why light is such a significant part of our celebration and our decoration at Christmas time in the Advent season. Although I think most people today don't make the connection at all. If you drive through Tanglewood to look at the lights or put lights up around your, your house like we have at our house, you probably don't think too much about the connection between light and Jesus is the light of the world. But many of our traditional Christmas carols do rightly make that connection. I was looking at a few of the traditional Christmas hymns this week, and I'll give you just a few examples. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The everlasting light shining in the dark streets. Writers of these Christmas carols work this theme of God's light, Christ being light to the world, into these uh, well-remembered Christmas hymns. What about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? It's another famous one. Verse 4 reads, O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. O drive away the shades of night and pierce the clouds and bring us Light. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Light. He'll pierce the clouds and bring us light. What about Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Verse 3 reads, Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings light and life to all He brings. The writers of these Christmas hymns weren't just making up words because they'd run. <laughs> They knew the content of Scripture, of light, Christ being the light of the world, bringing their biblical lyrics put into these Christmas songs. What about Silent Night, Holy Night? Verse 3 reads, Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. So how does Scripture, this passage in John chapter 1, included... Guide us to understand and value the light that Jesus has brought in the the world. What does it mean that Jesus has brought us light? What does that light do for us, in us, with us? Well, first of all, the light of Jesus awakens us to our need. It enables us to see things as they truly are. In the Gospel of Matthew we read, Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. What did the light do? We get a clue to that by the fact that immediately we read from that time Jesus Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The light awakens us to our need, not to make everyone happy, but to enable everyone to see things as they really are. That is to see our great need in the light of God's great holiness. When God's light breaks into the world, we are spiritually awakened, alerted as if out of sleep to our deep sense of need before our infinitely holy God. In church history, periods of tremendous revival, when many people come to faith in Jesus are sometimes known as awakenings. In the United States, there have been periods uh, known as the the First Great Awakening, the 1700s, later uh, the Second Great Awakening, and it's interesting as you read about those times, the first thing that happens when people begin gathering and preaching the gospel is not everybody's clapping their hands and renewed in their joy. No, the first thing that happens is a deep awareness of the need for God's forgiveness, a deep awareness of sin and the reality of judgment before a God who is an awesome God and is awesome in His holiness. And to be awakened is to be alerted to the reality of our spiritual condition so that we might be brought to the gospel and appreciate the gospel. The light of Jesus awakens us to our need, but further, the light of Jesus shows us how our need is met. It brings us to an understanding that the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from sin is the only thing that suffices for the meeting of our need. As John writes in verse 7 of the passage you see on the screen, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That great need to which we've been awakened is not met by some type of life improvement plan, some self-help plan of our own, but by the blood of Jesus. Spiritual enlightenment brings us to understand not only our need before God, but how that need is met. The Apostle Paul spoke of this when he was recounting his own testimony. And he talked about when he was on the Damascus road and how God had called him. Jesus had appeared to him and told him that he was sending him to the Gentiles, to those who were not Jews for this purpose to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. The people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. To turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The light of Jesus not only awakens us to the reality of our need, but it shows us how our need is met. When light comes into the world, as Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. He brings this light to us. It's important, I think, to note that to come to saving faith in Jesus, people have to have their spiritual eyes opened. They have to come into the light to receive the gospel, spiritual illumination is required. Coming to faith in Jesus is, is a reasonable, rational thing to do. But good reason alone won't get you there. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It takes the awakening, illumining work of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts. And this, I think, guides us in how to pray for people we know who don't know the Lord. Paul, so the Apostle Paul prayed this way a lot when he prayed for the church, that God would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, spiritual illumination. It's one way to pray for people in our lives, our families, our friend networks who, who just seem hardened to the gospel. There's just no openness. There's just no interest. We need to pray for the light of the Holy Spirit to come to them, to awaken them. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring people to conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is spiritual illumination, awakening to our needs, showing us the solution. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, I'm, I'm not really sure I'm a Christian or not. I don't know if I've ever had the kind of experience you talk about when people are born again, saved come to faith. You know, I've just tried to be a good person in life. Maybe you need to ask God to really open the eyes of your heart today to alert you to the spiritual reality of judgment to come. And the fact that only through our faith in the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin can we stand before an infinitely holy God, having embraced Him as our Lord, Thirdly, the light of Jesus shows us how to live. As we grow as followers of Jesus Christ, God increasingly shines his light upon our path so that we will increasingly walk in light rather than darkness. As John writes, everyone who does wicked things hates the light, doesn't come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says it this way. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As you grow in your faith, as we grow in our faith, we continually need the the light of Christ to illumine our path. Maybe some of you, like me, have been a Christian for, for a few decades, but you realize God continues to show us things in our lives that are wrong, wrong ways of thinking, wrong attitudes. By shining his light on us and you're reading the scripture one day and you realize, oh, I've, I've, I've been more covetous than I realized or I've been less forgiving than God's calling me to be or my attitude here is not as God would have it to be. God continues to shine his light upon our path and so this process... This progress in spiritual growth occurs, sometimes referred to as sanctification, God continuing to work in us, making us more holy, cleansing us from that that displeases Him as we walk in the light. As Proverbs 4.18 says, the path of the righteous is, is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That is, God gives continued illumination to our path. One of the ways that happens most fully for a Christian is by exposing our heart and minds frequently to God's holy word. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, your word is a a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And it's really true, I think, that the degree to which we expose our heart, our soul, our mind to the scripture the word of God, in an attitude of submissive reverence as we do what the book of James says to do, to receive with meekness the engrafted word to the degree we hear God's word and submit ourselves to its light and guidance. To that degree, we will continue to progress in holiness. And it will be true that the path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day, unto the full day. Your spiritual growth will probably be closely related to the amount of time you really spend seeking God in his word. And then fourth, as we reflect on the significance of the light that Jesus has come to bring, we remember that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, You're no longer walking in darkness, and He's given to you. He's given to you the light of life. And He said, not only of Himself, I'm the light of the world, but He said to His followers, Now, you are the light of the world. You're the ones out there walking through the world, bringing my light. You're the light of the world. And Jesus makes the point that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In other words, don't hide your light. It's intended that your light, the light of your life, should be seen. So in the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, we've read in the passages so far that the light of Christ shines on us, but apparently now our light is to be shining before others. And one of the ways that's done is by the way we live before this world around us. Let your good works be seen so that people will ultimately then give glory to your Father in heaven, that the example of your life and mine will will point them to the one who has given us light, the light bearer, the light bringer, the true light, who is Jesus. The Apostle Paul said something very similar to what Jesus said when he wrote to the Philippians about our being light in the world. And he wrote it this way, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Note what he calls believers to do, to shine his lights, one, by what we don't do, grumbling, complaining, constantly disputing, and secondly, by what we do do, holding fast the word of life, the word of Christ, the word of the gospel. Jesus is the true light. I'm the light of the world, he says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So when you hear those Christmas carols, Oh come, O oh, come, Emmanuel, silent night, light and life to all he brings, I hope you'll reflect on the significance that Jesus has come And he has enlightened, he has illumined our darkness and enables us, having enabled us to see our great need, awakened us to our need before God, and also shown us how that need is met. But he continues his work of light-bearing, light-giving, shining on us to show us how to walk. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. Maybe... This is a time when you'll, you'll search your heart and you, 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 you'll find that he's showing you even today something about your, your walk that should be changed so that your path as one who is righteous will go brighter and brighter and brighter until that full day. And then he reminds us, and maybe as we sing these Christmas carols, they'll remind us, as light and life to all he brings, that he's called us to be light. And we'll go into gatherings this month with family or friends or neighbors or co-workers and realize we're the light of the world. If they're going to see the light, perhaps it will be through, through us. So three questions by way of personal application this morning. Number one, have I responded to God's light by recognizing my need to receive the salvation provided by Jesus? That's the most important question I could ask you this morning. Let me say this to you. If when you think of your eternal destiny and you think of what will happen to you when you die and you ponder the question, when I die am I certain whether I would go to heaven to be with God? When you consider your eternal destiny, and your thoughts immediately go to whether you've been good enough, that is a warning sign. None of us can be good enough. The blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin was shed because none of us could be good enough. Only Christ. Do not dishonor the Lord by depending on On your own goodness. No one is good enough save Christ alone. Secondly, is there some way in which God is calling me to turn from darkness to walk in his light? As John would write in the letter of 1st John, This is the message we've heard from Him to proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, God calls His people to walk in the light. And communion is a very good time to search our hearts. Maybe that's a question we should ask ourselves today. And then thirdly, is there someone with whom God is calling me to share the light of Christ. Maybe a friend, co worker, neighbor, someone you've known for some time who, who doesn't really even know you're, you're a Christian. Maybe this is the time to share with them who the light of life really is Jesus. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I'll read these words from the Apostle Paul. If you Do not have one of these cups and need one and will raise your hand. Our ushers will gladly bring one around to you as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. <clears throat> do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Think about what we're about to do. If you take of the little wafer, the bread, You drink the cup, the juice. You're making a visible proclamation that you have by faith received the benefits of his body given for you and his blood that cleanses from all sin. Please don't do it insincerely. I think communion is intended for those who are genuinely believers, those who have actually put their faith in Christ Jesus is Savior and is Lord. So Paul goes on to give a warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'd like to take a moment now for us to, to pray and take a moment of silence. Allow the Lord to search our hearts and um Again, the most important thing is to be certain that you've indeed put your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation. And if you're not sure, it's fine to pass on taking communion this morning and wait until you're ready to really put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord and to become his follower. Would you join me as we pray? (coughs) Father, we want to take this holy thing we call communion in the proper way. So would you please help us now, Lord? I pray your people would receive the full benefits that you intend from this holy sacrament and that none would take it wrongly. And if you're considering whether you should take communion and you're not sure whether you're a Christian, I would simply encourage you, if you're willing and ready to turn your life over to Jesus Christ, to acknowledge that you're a sinner and in need of his forgiveness, and acknowledge your faith that he alone has provided salvation from your sins, and to call upon him as your Savior and Lord. And Father, now would you speak to us that we be prepared to take communion in the proper way.